This is 16.9 Projects. I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode, I'll get into the thinking behind a project and how it came together by talking to the people behind them. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. The lobby of the Cosmopolitan Hotel in Las Vegas is dominated by its eight columns covered in 384 screens, which appear even larger due to the reflective floors and mirrored ceilings. It's one of the most beautiful digital signage spaces around. The best part is the content doesn't sell a thing other than brand experience. Its artistic, often ambient content is custom designed for the space. This provides a great user experience, but just as compelling for the hotel, it creates user presence, with guests taking their faces out of their phones and realizing they have entered a hotel unlike any in the world. Katrina Crawford and Mark Bayshore are partners in life and work. They've been involved in the creation of content for the Cosmopolitan Hotel since its inception, while working for Digital Kitchen. Now on their own as co-owners of Plains of Yonder, their latest commission combines a mixture of physical traditional elements and animations. A link should be included in the description. I spoke with them via Skype about the early days of getting the installation up and running, as well as their thoughts on content creation for digital signage in general. Thanks for joining the podcast, guys. Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about the space and what you see as a guest of the hotel and and what you see when you're standing there. Sure, yeah. It's really a beautiful space just on architectural terms, with or without the technology. Um, Eight huge columns covered in what seem to be black mirrors but are actually several hundred monitors and those columns are holding up the building so they obviously they couldn't go away um, when they built the space so it was just a beautiful way of integrating uh those columns into the lobby and then doing something with them to create really an architectural slash technological experience so it was really off to a really unique start. You've got these eight columns that are holding up the building. What do you do with them? How do you make them be a part of the experience? And the the beauty of um, really covering these columns in um, video uh, really allows it, gives us a chance to extend an experience way beyond what architecture itself could do. So it still feels like a very architectural space. You don't feel that there are screens there. And that's really the start of something great. It doesn't feel like you've you know, glued screens onto walls. They're literally integrated into the space. So it's a sculptural, almost more like a sculptural installation than it is a video installation. And that's really what informed the way we approach the content. How early in the project were you brought in and was content as the notion of content brought in? We've been working with the Cosmopolitan since about six months before the hotel opened, several years back. Um, the notion of content at the time was, um, what do we put up on? What do we put up in this space? And what we see a lot of, um, just in the category, is sort of this almost teleporting of the language of television or movies or video or television commercials onto big screens. And that's where we wanted to sort of interrupt and step back and say, hey, wait a minute, this is an architectural space. It's a public space. Is there a way that we can approach the content that feels more sculptural, 
more poetic and more germane to architecture or a physical space than germane to television, movies, commercials, etc. So that really began a totally new approach to creating content for um, experiential design for us. And was the notion of always having atmospheric or ambient content, or was there a, a period where there was other content thought of? Well, there was. Uh, you know, when the hotel first opened, there was a contingent at the at the uh, property that wanted to, the, the term they used was monetize the content. In other words, create content for other uh, sponsors, luxury brands, uh, you know, you name it, uh, BMW or Prada or other, and essentially create it for them and, and make money. And that was really the first discussion. That's sort of, uh, you know, one of those discussions and you don't think you're going to win and then you do. And it's almost once in a career kind of thing where we said, no, this is your brand and you have a chance to have people literally walk through your brand. That's something you can't do with millions of dollars of television buys or any other type of media to have people enter your lobby and be surrounded in a motion and audio experience that's entirely uh, about your brand and your sensibility. And that was the end of the discussion. Luckily, we had great clients there who um, were really um, dead set on creating artistic experiences, albeit in Las Vegas. Their view of the hotel was one that could compete on a world level. So if you took this hotel and put it in Paris, San Francisco, Barcelona, or anywhere else, it would be a beautiful experience. That was the objective, not uh, not to consider us, you know, measure ourselves against Las Vegas standards. And can you win that argument in other spaces? I mean, that's a unique space uh, that they've created there. But there's plenty of times when I think ambient or non-selling content would serve a client better than selling content. How do you win that argument? We begin by talking about this media itself. It's so powerful. The technology has grown so much, and you have so much power over a space and over people with the, these huge screens. And, you know, we really just ask that tough question and look our clients in the eye and say, do you really think your customers want a message from you? Or do they want a story or an experience that uh, maybe says more about them than it does you? And, you know, success is always for us, you know, especially when you think about the cosmopolitan, that a customer would walk in and say, I can't believe they made this for me. It almost feels like it was made just for me. I mean, that's the ultimate gesture, especially if you're in the hotel business, but really any other public space, retail, airports, etc., that people feel like you didn't make it to them uh, with an agenda, you made it for them. And boy, when you have that conversation, almost every um, sensible human being says, you know what, you're right. Let's create an experience, not a not an ad or a message. So how do you actually put it together? What's your process like in terms of dealing with bezels and where content stops and starts? Because when I look at that, a lot of the content I've seen you display, you can't really see where it starts and stops. And we'll move on to your your current installation, the winter scenes. But generically speaking, how, how are you building and designing for these columns? Well, it's not, I mean, it's not, nearly as um, technical as we'd like you to believe it is. You, there's a lot of guesswork, honestly, and even though when you do the math over and over again, uh, like in the case of our most recent Little Winter piece with a lot of detail, 
you end up with a character or an image on a bezel that you need to account for. So there's a testing process where you take some stills or you take a few seconds of motion and put it up in the space and go there and look at it and say, oh, I guess we were off. But if you look at our, um, we have a making of video on our website and you'll see Katrina uh, building this particular setting, you'll see a series of grids or strings that are hung up that are meant to approximate where those bezels are. Uh, that's exactly what those were put there to say. I think we're going to have a seam here. and I'm pretty sure this is the edge of the scene. But lo and behold, you end up, you know, a few inches off and, and you adjust. And so you take draft versions down to the hotel and stand there with cameras, I assume, and video or take stills and see how things align and then go back to the studio and, and redesign. Yeah, how things align, how fast they're moving. Is this too... You know, you can always make your best guess, but there's nothing like being there. Is it moving too fast? Is it too bright? Um, how does it, you know, just how does it feel in the space uh, holistically? Yeah, this space is very special, too, in that it uh, the displays are actually behind mirror black glass. And that mimics the floor and the ceiling. So you get this really cool infinity effect where you sort of can't tell where the ceiling and the floor are. And anything you put on there is then reflected and mirrored in the ceiling and floor. So that's an extra part that makes it very dramatic, but it's also a consideration when you're planning. And I assume that's something that you've become better at using over time. Your first installations wouldn't have, have made use of those mirrors quite as well as you do today? Well, in in the old mediums of, of television and, and um, commercials and filmmaking, reflection is the enemy. Me. And so, yeah, when we first walked in this space, we're like, oh, my God, it, there are reflections everywhere. And actually, if you look closely at the columns, you'll see exit signs and elevator signs and people. There's reflection everywhere. But it's amazing how your eye kind of looks past that toward the content. And then, yeah, like Katrina said, you've got this spilling of the image off of the columns onto the ceiling and on the floor that even magnifies that sense of of being surrounded in color or motion or sensibility of the content, which we really learned, like you say, to embrace and maybe even take advantage of at times. You said that you hadn't done an installation like this on this scale before. What's the difference between doing something like this and doing, say, just a, a video wall? One thing that's unique about that space is you do have eight different columns and each one is 15 feet tall. So you're talking kind of a massive scale and anything you do is repeated eight times plus the reflection. So you're getting, you know, this echoing effect, which can be really fun. Um, but you also have to consider the emotional state of the people going through there and to make sure that it's respectful of their you know, not, you're not overwhelming them, you're welcoming them. And audio is a big component too. We, uh, audio is a big part of what we do and use. So making sure, you know, a lot of these pieces, like the little winter piece has a unique composed piece um, for each of the different sets. Each of them has their own music and it's all stitched together into a contiguous thing. That's unique. It really is different than a video wall in the sense that it's not asking you you know, a video wall is pretty close to a movie screen. It's demanding that you stop and stare at it and pay attention 
and people are inclined to think of it as a big screen, a big movie screen. This space is entirely different, and we tried to complement the space with content that expressed a sculptural point of view, that you're moving through a painting or moving through a space or moving through essentially a video sculpture, not staring at a screen um, that has a beginning or an end, we like to think of this as having no beginning, no end, no up, no no down. Oftentimes, video will turn a corner around the edge of a column, or sometimes different column faces will have different sets or scenes or parts of a video going to help um, bring about that sense that it's not a screen with an edge, a left, a right, a top, and a bottom, but an entire almost space or, or little world that you're walking through. It's respecting the mood of the customer and the space that they're in and their mindset. Yeah, because, I mean, you can't control when they walk in, so you can't, you know, wait for somebody to come in the door and go, okay, hit play. The show is beginning. It's on all the time. People come. People go. Some people are in a rush. Some people have time. So how do you create content that is not still narrative in the sense that there's a story happening, but it doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end in the in the way that video always has so just even the sense of uh, um, removing edits um, from the material we've built many many pieces over the years for the cosmopolitan and never created a single edit that alone is a huge change of mindset in terms of filmmaking that you can't create edits you're building uh, moving sculptures but you can't cut and um, because a cut 15 feet tall in an entire space doesn't feel very good. It's like somebody turning the lights on and off for you. So um, the cut is the enemy, which is um, an incredible challenge, especially since I'm an editor, you know, by trade at the beginning of my career. So great creative challenges and an entirely different approach from filmmaking um, to, to these types of spaces. I want to talk about the winter scenes, but just while we're talking about big spaces, you guys have also done some work at LAX, and and that's a a large space as well. On these massive spaces, and as you say, you can't afford to do edits or or other things like that. What are what are your some some of your key learnings on the ultra big spaces that you've played in? Well, we really took you know for LAX, really step back as far as you can step back and really think about the even the architect, or I, I like to think about those original meetings when a whole space is concepted. In the case of LAX, it's a very sculptural building. And yes, there are huge, massive, almost Blade Runner-sized screens in there. Is there a way that we can create, you know, our approach was to create kinetic sculpture, not video. Um, and how can you make the building better for for, the, for having the screens um, than the opposite? There's such power in those screens, especially at that scale, that they have the ability to walk all over all the hard work that the architect did in creating the building, not to mention walking all over the experience of the customers as well. Really have to, you're you're playing with fire with such a powerful instrument. You have to err on the side of, um, you know, poetry and sculpture and uh, almost humility in terms of creating beautiful art and not swing for the fences of all the things that you can do with motion, video, and, um, and the traditional tools. 
Tell us about the current uh, scene that's running at Cosmopolitan now. So the Little Winter Project uh, is two parts. So we created physical sets with railroad figures. Uh, we made five different scenes that we took. Um, then we took those images and used CG to bring bits of the sets alive. So the idea of invoking the magic of this tiny world coming to life and you getting invited in for just a moment to see it. Uh, it's very nostalgic, but also very dramatic and beautiful. So it has a little interplay between sort of the best of both worlds, this handcrafted miniatures forged with the digital age. And there's that same interplay is sort of expressed in the space. You get this interesting juxtaposition between these hand-built sets, literally from styrofoam and um, we still have little bottles in our basement of like number four snow. Um, this model railroad world of little metal figures and styrofoam mountains in this multi you in, know in, in, infused into one of the most sophisticated video systems on the planet it sort of puts a smile on my face and i think other people too that you get this interesting interplay or juxtaposition between the almost childlike analog world and the a sophisticated technical world it could have been created, you know, all in CG, but it, it wouldn't have been the same. So the physicality of the underlying sets of the actual build is critical uh, to give you that texture and depth that you see in the finished product. This is the type of thing where you stand at a distance and you kind of see one installation. And when you're up very close to it, it's a completely different one. Am I correct? Yeah, beautiful. Um, that's exactly what where our objective was to really reward someone for taking the time to step up and see these little bits. So within each set, there's hundreds of tiny narratives, you know, nuns jumping from boxes and tightrope walkers and lumberjacks chopping down giant candy canes and sumo wrestlers. I mean, it goes on and on. Each one is populated with lots and lots of narratives, which goes to what Mark was saying about you're not controlling when someone walks in. You're not controlling where exactly they're standing. So you have to reward them continuously and uh, with a lot of little details. And in terms of designing something like that, this goes back to you have the mirrored ceilings and mirrored floors and reflective surfaces. Uh, it works well from the distance because you, you've used the colors that reflect well. But you've had to design something that a client needs to really understand what's going to be happening. So how... How do you get a client to buy into something? How many versions did you show them? And what level of detail do you go into when you're trying to explain this to them? Well, it's very difficult to approximate. Uh, and we didn't even know, honestly, what it was going to look like because it hadn't been made. And we couldn't find anything other than Grandpa's Model Railroad sets, uh, photographs from basements to say, we're going to build this. And that was very hard to get a client to say, oh, okay, sure, that, I see how that's going to work. In our, at the Cosmopolitan Lobby. So um, we start with the story and the sensibility and the mood. That's really what we're selling, not not the image. Or We, we always want to create work that's as original as possible, so that's a good sign when you can't find anything like it. Um, but we really talk to the client about how people will feel. And um, a little bit of nostalgia, a little bit of tradition with these sort of almost clunky little animation styles, so it feels almost mechanical. It's not going to be slick, um, but then it will have some b real 
beautiful technical touches like moon glows as the moon passes over the mountains or uh, northern lights that are that feel very alive, um, water that glistens when a yeti swims through it. All these little details are quite sophisticated, but really, really simple in terms of uh, of the mood. So we always work with our clients to, to talk about the feeling that you're trying to invoke versus literally what's it going to look like. Um, and then just bring them along. We tell them um, every step of the way, you know, unlike some filmmaking where you kind of come down from the mountaintop with a finished product, you really have to involve the client all the way along. So the first drawings that we create, we share. The first um, piece of styrofoam that we cut, we share. And sometimes clients are a little terrified because they're, they're kind of coming behind the curtain and seeing, you know, the mess in the kitchen. We give them good warnings that um, that we may fall on our face or we may change our change our mind. Um, but that's part of the process. And really, I can't tell you how many clients appreciate being involved and being a part of things and just being included. I think it's a bit of a fallacy that clients really want you to come down uh, with the finished product and present it to them. So we always tell our clients, you're going to make this with us and, you know, we're going to make this with you, not for you. It makes a big difference in the, in being proud of something at the end. Did you go into the production of this one with less of an idea how it was going to end up than you have on some of your other ones, just to the, due to the detail of the pieces that you're working with? Sure. Um, you know, we don't always uh, build physical sets, and we certainly don't build uh, physical sets in miniature. I mean, these are quite massive in that they're about six feet tall, um, which is massive for a miniature world, but everything in there is tiny. So you're working with whole different sets of tools. Um, super fun, but yeah, it takes some time. And then just, you know, the, the scale of things. So you're building a set that then is photographed and then is manipulated. And so as that's going, you know, and then it's displayed on something, you have to make all those calculations. So things end up the right size. These model railroad figures are lovely and we painted all kinds of detail on them. But if you get too close to them, you see that, you know, they're, most of them are die cast metal and there's little flaws to them. So there's a, an interplay between making something big enough and, 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 and so you can see it well, and yet, you know, there's a lot of scale things that we had to play with to figure out. Um, but super fun. We were able to create five different scenes, and each one of those um, plays successively through the piece. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we really didn't know how it would turn out uh, beforehand. This was the most unique and most rewarding project that we've done for the cosmopolitan in terms of content for that reason it you're building physical worlds that will need to express themselves in video form and um and uh, you know some, some figures were uh tiny figures when they're up in the mountains and then the more foreground figures were larger figures so we did a lot of calculations in terms of creating space and depth um as well and it was trial and error uh, all the way and uh, just making adjustments uh, as you go. Is working with the physical a new direction, a one-off, or we'll probably do this again on a couple other projects, but it, it's just kind of something that we have in our bag? 
No, we actually love that handcraft of actually making things. So um, on all of our projects, we really try to do something that's different. And so you do have to learn a new world. I mean, we're kind of pros on all the different railroad figure companies and (laughs) all of that now. Um, But then we'll move on to something else. And yeah, having a physical component or having something, um, you know, one of our favorite projects that we have of someone else's is a project done by Breakfast in New York where they made a thread screen that has 6,400 mechanical spools of thread, and that creates an image. And that sort of analog is exciting to us. I mean, and also the hybrid. We're very much about using um, mixed media, of using whatever it takes to make it happen. Yeah, we're, we're excited about making things with fiber arts and giant wool sculptures uh, embedded with LEDs and Things like that really, um, really keep us keen on on inventing for the business. I, I don't know if the world needs more um, CG artists, and I don't think we could compete just uh, in in terms of creating really slick media um, with uh, you know pure film and CG uh, necessarily. But where the magic comes for us is in mixing those uh, mixing those medias and getting new hybrids or new unions between story and media and art. Are you able to discuss any projects you're working on or, or generically the types of projects uh, you're interested in? We're continuing to work, you know, just generically, we're continuing to work with uh, physical spaces, public spaces that will cross the line between sculpture, video, experience, and story, sometimes not involving video at all. We work with some clients in the architectural spaces to concept story for spaces. So essentially art directing a space. Sometimes that includes digital uh, um, digital technology. Sometimes it doesn't include any. Uh, we usually focus on the story and the sensibility and the art direction uh, of a space and, and go from there. We're also um, doing some stuff that's more like public good working with nonprofit, um, doing some exciting stuff there that we're happy about. We've done some different interactive projects that um, are in that field where we're doing something for... We, we completed a, a project called Radio 8 for the Gates Foundation that's in that vein and doing a lot more that way, which we are excited about. Excellent. What's your message to those that are currently creating for digital screens? Oh, that's a great question. I think if we could send a message, it would be to to um, to to work um, more from the heart and more with art than uh, taking all your cues from an industry that's 60, 70 years old of advertising. And I think what the corporate world needs now, just as just as the nonprofit and cause based work needs now more than anything is art. And the world doesn't need another screen necessarily. They haven't asked for it, and they certainly haven't asked for messaging in the traditional way. But what they have asked for is something uh, that's closer to uh, art and um, and speaks to them on a little bit uh, more emotional level and uh, brings people together in a much more powerful way than um, than the craft of uh, than the craft of advertising does. Final question, how do I and many others like me deal with people that go and visit the Cosmopolitan Hotel, 
see the 384 screens or whatever it is and come back and say, I want exactly that. And they show us a 52 inch screen in vertical mode. How do we deal with that? <laughs> well, hopefully we get to them before they install the screen. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big part of it. The earlier, the better. It's common for, for the content provider to be the afterthought. Many, many, many times we've gotten the call after the screens have been designed or even installed. And, uh, and you know, the, the usual mode of operation is, well, we'll figure out what to put up there later. And you get the call, you know, a few months before something opens. So it's vitally important that the entire holistic story be considered before you put any technology in, even if it is a single screen. What are you trying to say? What do you want your customers to feel? And uh, what's the content going to be uh, before you put that uh, before you put anything uh, in or plug, uh, spend a dime or plug anything into the wall, have that conversation first and uh, usually leads to a better solution. Thanks, guys. That was terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to talk to you, Michael. That's all for this episode of 169 Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, now that's cool, I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the 16.9 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 16.9, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group, the massive media empire my buddy Dave Haynes runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.